Welcome back to The Popular Parallax, a sci-fi limited series podcast hosted by our guest for this series, Milo Davinas, and me, Jerrica Lala. Be sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Popular Parallax. And now... Join us on a nine-episode escapade through the epidemic-ridden hellscape of The Last of Us. Well, hang on to your emotional seatbelts, everyone, because it is time for more trauma this week with The Last of Us, Episode 5. I'm Jerrica Lala. And this just happens to be Milo Davinas. And we're back, back, back again. Oh, boy, are we back. <laughs> Who needs a what? Super Bowl? You've got torment and tragedy. These mushrooms are my my professional athletes. <laughs> that's that's all I need in a weekend. They destroyed. Yep, they destroyed our hearts and souls this week. That's right. As we go on another adventure. So, yeah, we're back in Kansas City. Place yes. of dreams. Because last week we had uh, a cliffhanger. Ellie wakes up when they've snuck into this high-rise building, and there are two uh, young males holding them. Exactly. So here we are, and much like we had sort of suspected last week, we're not very far out from the people's revolution that freed Kansas City from the, you know, diabolical, oppressive Fedra. And we start this episode with the sort of immediate aftermath of that coup. And we're getting a lot of dead soldiers. We're getting a lot of fire in the streets. We're seeing what is a very realistic reflection of what usually happens after a military regime is overthrown. And of course, we are getting not the origins necessarily of Kathleen, but sort of her... Kind of. Yeah, we're getting like her victory moment, her her transition from freedom fighter to dictatorial menace, I guess, is yeah. the idea. But I think that part of the interest of this, she doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's mad, mm-hmm. but the plan is a little wobbly. Yeah. Like, you were right, Leslie, it actually was way closer to revolution than what I thought. Like, it was, they missed it by like hours, basically. Pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe a few days. Like, it's the whole thing, how we're connected with the doctor and stuff. I was like, oh, this just happened. So yeah. she's she's really thinking on a slippery slope. Like, she is just like, what, what, what? Like, everything is happening very quick. And unfortunately, she's sort of making decisions that are really shaping then what the consequences are. Yeah. And we see her pretty early in this episode rounding up what were essentially a large list of informers for Fedra who were ratting on the rebels throughout their cause. And, you know, last week we were kind of debating whether or not Kathleen was really ruthless or not. And here we're seeing that, at least in the heat of the moment, she's ready to shoot a lot of people for, you know, I guess in her mind a valid reason, but... There's no trial here. There's no nuance. She's definitely not rational, right? She's just full of rage and Mm -hmm. just interested in shaming and then punishing by... Absolutely. That's it. Like, Mm -hmm. she she say at one point, like, there's no trial. 
she lies to them and says, oh, you're going to go out. And it's like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like there's no structure to society whatsoever. Exactly. It's just Kathleen is killing people and that's the world we live in now. And, and it's personal. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's personal. It's not Definitely. just like, yeah, she, because I think she's taking her personal experience and then transferring it on to all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get to see exactly what the most personal element is for her, which of course we were getting hints of last week, but Henry and Sam, the two young black men who are introduced last week, we discover that Henry is the person who got Kathleen's brother, Michael, killed. He informed on him to Fedra, and this Michael person was the original leader, it sounds like, of the Kansas City Rebels. And he was traded, essentially, to Fedra by Henry to get life-saving medicine for Sam, the younger brother. And so we're seeing now Henry and Sam on the run. We also get to see the connection or the role of the doctor, whom Kathleen shot last week, in that escape plan. And it's that he... Turns out he was also informing and he's got Henry and Sam, you know, stowed away in what looks like an attic of some sort. Yeah, it's an old hut somewhere that was about, he sort of stuffed them in there. Exactly. But there's not, I mean, they can't, they, even in that scene, we know they can't just stay there because there's no food. There's Mm -hmm. no... You know, he's this poor man, the brother. It's it, He's the brother of that. Yeah, yeah. He's around yeah. 25, I think I read on the wiki, and then the younger brother's eight. And they say that, the eight. In the- yeah, yeah, but he's trying to keep this child alive. That's his only problem. Mm-hmm. So they can't, like, he wants to protect him, but then he has to take him to dangerous places so they can get food in. He's really, it's a very sympathetic character, and he even admits that he admired the, but what, like, he, what was he supposed to do? Yeah. And all of this is invented for the show. I looked it up after the episode aired to get the full picture of it. And they've created, well, they created the character of Kathleen completely. And then Henry and Sam, I think we might have mentioned this last week, but they were just two survivors in a larger group who happened to wander into the setting in the video game. Whereas here we're getting a very um, complex backstory that not only ties Henry and Sam directly to the city that they're traveling in, but also to Kathleen in a very personal vengeance narrative. So it's one of those examples where the show is going beyond what the original source material provided. And I really enjoy it. It does feel a little tropey. Kind of reminded me of what you said, Jerrica, in episode three, where we were talking about the character, um, Murray Bartlett's character, and how he talks about exchanging sex for food but he's not a whore and that kind of thing and you made the point of like you know that is kind of a reality of an apocalyptic setting and i again didn't dislike the leukemia edition but it also would have been just as fine if henry had generally just been trying to keep his brother alive and fedra had just been shitty to him like it's not a stretch to say it's kind of taking it up whole it's it's like to make him a saint and yeah. i would just like i still it might, he could have just said i traded him for like a month's worth of food and i would have bought that just as much 
Exactly, right. And it's not hard to believe that two young Black men in a young Black man and a Black child in a military dictatorship in what was formerly the U.S., now a crumbling, you know, dictatorship, would be especially threatened by the military. And, you know, again, it's not that I dislike that element, but it does turn it into this very, like, individual storyline where we've got Henry doing what he must to keep his brother from dying, and the stakes are even higher than they already were in just surviving an apocalyptic state. And then it's supposed to, I guess, give you that balance with Kathleen's vengeance narrative, which is also a very amped up story. Well, yeah, but, you know, what you're saying, like, doing that to, to me actually didn't do any favors because she became a cartoon super villainous, right? right. <laughs> like, it really, like, I, because last week I was sort of going, oh, I don't know about the casting. And this week I was just like, it's not the casting, like, how are you supposed anytime there's a villain like this you have to feel a moment where you're you sympathize or you see their point of view and because they they it up so high with the kid and i was just like i hate you <laughs> like i hate you and they even make a point of saying the brother wouldn't have been healed and i'm like so you're not suited to do this you're a terrible person and you're freely you're admitting all weaknesses in front of your guy. Like, I, I just found the whole little puzzling. And I was like, is this so I get the satisfaction of the end of her being destroyed instead of feeling like a give and take about it? Well, exactly, right? Like, it when you amp it up this much, and, I, you know, they, they make a point of going to Kathleen and Michael's childhood bedroom. and Which there's somehow is still there. Yeah, and then she tells that cockamamie story about the thunderstorm <laughs> and the and the box, and I was like, "He was a beautiful person." I'm like, "Okay, Melanie, come on." Well, it's like, I mean, God love her. I love Melanie Linsky. I do was, too. I she just, was working. <laughs> she tried, man, but she the didn't. part was was devoid of enigma of some kind. Where you're like, "What is what is going on?" That because she told you everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like, I would have accepted a simple story of this is my turf and we are not welcoming of anyone who goes outside the line and you went outside the line and we're here to kill you or, you know, expel you, whichever. So while, again, I like I don't necessarily mind the betrayal and the and the, the leukemia, it did feel a bit like the Romeo and Julietness of episode three so i had to stop it's my eyes drama forward. right it is and i guess this is what we should be expecting in the last of us when they go expansively into backstories with characters yeah. when we'll be expanding we're going to be getting some like shakespearean yeah. we're gonna go extra yeah and that's fine it's fine it's just <laughs> Jerrica and I are both in the arts. We know our way around a narrative. I think maybe for us, we might be a little more like irked by some of these things, but we can still have a good time. Oh, absolutely. Listen, I actually really enjoyed this. This is one of, this is probably my favorite episode so far. Right. And that's, that's the truth. But when we say, I mean, I think it's even a disservice to say like, oh, it's Shakespearean. I mean, when I was, you even now, a billion years later, you watch Hamlet and you go, what's going on with this guy? What right. is this? Like, what's your motivation? 
And with her, it's just like, like all this (laughs) expository stuff that I feel like some of it should have been held back. I want to look into their eyes and go, what's going on in there now? Mm -hmm. What, you know what I mean? But that's, that's my point of view. I'm sure a lot of people loved it and I liked it. I just found, I agreed with you. Like it was a little, it's like, it's like, I get it. You can stop pushing it at me. Mm-hmm. That they're actually good and she's bad and not the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't have two more innocent characters in these two boys. Mm-hmm. Almost to the, the extent the other way. Like, I'm like, they're like, how are they this nice in this environment? Yeah. Like, is even that our cliffhanger... But that dissolves real fast because he's like, I'm not a bad guy. Like, you put your gun down, I'll put my gun down. And I'm like, well, that, <laughs> that's about the easiest exchange we've had so far. And I, it's possible that the writers were like, we can't make like characters of color super aggressive with gun violence and stuff. And mm. I, I understand that, but also the environment, they have to at least be willing to protect themselves and not be so trusting that they're just like well if you relax i'll relax like it's very it's very normal world logic instead of apocalyptic logic to me yeah (laughs) but i i really liked them yeah as i'm supposed to exactly we're we're supposed to be falling in love with these characters and we did and it certainly paid off in quotation marks in the level of devastation toward the end. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're getting on a roll. We've got Henry and Sam meeting up with Joel and Ellie. And then we get to the the plan to get out, which I thought was an hilarious little exchange. I think it was so funny that it happened in a boardroom meeting room yeah. space, actually. Um and you know it's it's not a very complex plan. And I I do like the sort of nod to the fact that it's a little bit like, well, we're just moving ahead. We got to get out and there's some tunnels. We're doing it. Yeah. And, you know, Pedro again being extremely charismatic. And then with the actors. Yes, here. thank God somebody's mysterious because he's about the only one that is. Uh-huh. Maybe the little girl a little bit too, but... <laughs> But he, yeah, he's, but even the, like, cause they're like, oh, it's clean. It's like, you know, that Kathleen's not going to go down there. She thinks it's infected, but it's not. Everything's fine. I heard it from a Fedra guy. It's okay. And they just go, all right. And they go down and the whole time I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what they want. That's what they want. Exactly. They want tension. When they did get down into those tunnels and there weren't any mushroom no. zombies to be found. So, I mean, I guess no. technically it was right. Yeah, he was but- correct. We do know there is something lurking somewhere because we did get the scene in the previous episode with the pulsing floor. Yes. So, but you know, we get we get to go into the tunnels. We 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 get to see this um, what was once apparently a safe zone for someone else. I looked up this part, and actually, HBO has been pushing this quite a bit on their social medias. This, well, that's what I was thinking. Right? <laughs> this area, this this place, is apparently very popular in the video game people the the fans of the video game find this area very special and happy it ha- it takes place in the video game in the Pittsburgh sewer as opposed to these Kansas City tunnels but the same characters apparently there's a man named Danny there's another man named Ish 
they've um you know joined up with a couple other survivors including a lot of children and they make a safe space in this underground area that apparently lasts for a good solid while and then someone accidentally leaves the door open and it all goes to shit the characters are never seen in the actual the last of us story from what i was reading but they are at least some of them survive the disaster that's there because there are hints of them that come down the road and you know hbo again has been like did you see did you notice we put in hints easter eggs and my first thought was oh we're getting a spin-off of this well i actually found it quite tragic that's abandoned school and it was i thought it was very sad Mm-hmm. But it was nice that they had a spot where they could chill out. That was great. But I found the room quite depressing. Because, yeah. you, you know, it had been some kind of sheltered little kindergarten me type room that had been destroyed. Like everything else in the fucking whole world is destroyed. It's awful, right? Well, exactly. And there's all of the immediate horror that we see in the present day narrative, but this was a really great reminder that, oh yeah, this apocalypse has been going on for 20 years in universe. And there's been a whole smorgasbord of terror and stages. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a feeling that we will probably get the Danny and ish storyline. Oh God. So we're done with this chunk <laughs> and it will no. be just as devastating. <laughs> Don't do it. You know, so many dead children. How could we not make a show? Is what just screaming at the HBO exec offices right now. So look forward to that podcast when Jerrica and I dig our souls out of the grave. (laughs) So the two the two younger people are really getting along. Ellie's the perfect age to babysit. The child we haven't mentioned that Sam is a deaf person. Yes, which was a really cool addition that was purposely done because the actor who plays him, Kevon Montreal Woodard, is actually deaf in real life. And yes, yeah. I that... can tell it wasn't fake. It was real. Exactly. And they made that change so that they could have a deaf actor play, which is cool. Yeah. It was a really important addition, I think, to this story. And any story, really, to have more opportunities like that. He was remarkably well-educated for an eight-year-old deaf boy in a post-apocalyptic world because I've met deaf adults that have some trouble getting their thoughts down on paper so clearly but somehow by a miracle he gets a a magic right right to Ellie and she can write back to him which is very handy so you know good good for uh for Henry somehow got him highly educated with with English the Fedra in Kansas City, Missouri might have been cruel and violent, but they at least had some decent resources that's for right. deaf children in yeah. school. So that's good. Yes, good it is. Yeah, and we got this really important moment to see Ellie and Sam bonding in particular, and just another nice, quiet moment where we could, you know, well, we get the whole backstory with the leukemia in this setting, so we need that rest and that information dump which I thought was very good because it makes sense. You're sitting around, you're chatting, you know, this is the only time you get to talk about yourselves. So why not give us some exposition in the story as well? And then, of course, we all exit the tunnel into the nightmare that we all kind of knew was going to cap this thing off. It was fucking awesome. Like, you know. So cool. (laughs) So good. 
Yeah, so they come out, I guess they come out on the other side of the border of the city, and they're like, oh my, like, and it's sort of a, a de- like, ev- like everything, it's deserted, but it's like a residential area, like a subdivision almost. They're like, oh my god, we're, we got out of there. Then <laughs> they notice there's a house with somebody in it. Uh-huh. So old, old Pedro goes <laughs> in around the back door and he's like, I'm going to take care of this. You guys just keep going. Then once he, he, he easily disarms the person in the wind, some old guy who is watching out for them and he has a radio and he's radioed that they're there. And then all of a sudden Kathleen and her whole, it looked like half the city mm-hmm. shows up with her, just like cars and they're running and they're, they're running after these guys and the, and the girl Ellie is with them. They're shooting at them. So she she pulls out her gun. She starts shooting, running. The cars are trying to run them down. So she gets a great action sequence. And then old Pedro is at the window <laughs> taking this the old guy's like rifle and just picking people off one at a time. But it's not really enough because there's a gajillion people. And then and what got- happens once they get them cornered? Well, I mean, that's the thing. We got this intense standoff. It's already so in- incredibly tense in that dark, spooky suburb, which they built apparently from scratch on the Calgary Stampede grounds. I was yeah. reading about that. Yeah, I did too. Well, because it, a lot of that was practical, and it would. I, I, while I was wa- even watching it in the excitement of watching this, part of my brain just went, "God, imagine shooting this thing." Holy yes. shit. I mean, HBO is known for its increasingly dramatic cinematic television shoots, and I couldn't imagine having to orchestrate all of that as yeah. director, as a line producer. Good Lord. Yeah. Just nuts. But yeah, we get this this intense standoff with just one sniper, and then after Joel has disarmed this man, it's like the perfect, we're on our way, we're almost there, which just, you knew they were coming. But then they say that line, and here's Kathleen, and... That um, armored vehicle with the wedge in the front that says run on it. And then that unbelievably tense, perfect action shot of it's coming and Joel's sniping at the driver. Is he going to get them? And then finally on the last shot, right before he hits him, bam, he kills the driver and the iconic truck goes careening into a house can't remember exactly how it caught on fire, but boy, did it catch on fire. Maybe and just the so, gas lines. Yeah, it's it, something Something got hit there and it kaboom. It explodes, huge fiery explosion. And then it starts to very quickly sink nose down yep. into the ground. And I, I, get, I like the, because um, the kids are hiding behind a truck and Ellie ducks under the truck. They're like, what the hell's going on? Because they stop being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Something else has caught the bad guy's attention. And it's this truck going down. And then this horrifying moment where you're just <laughs> like, oh, God. And then the fastest, fastest zombies you have ever seen. Oh, good Lord. Pouring out of this. It's like it's like a waterfall. Just like pouring out of this hole. A kajillion infected people. Fast zombies. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. That's the best scene in the show so far. It's so fast zombies, Jerrica. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> the shit out of me. Because, you know, a lot of zombie stuff, the precedent was sort of established in uh, Night of the Living Dead, right? Yeah. Where you get the shuffling. Yeah. Exactly. 
But part of the lore here in The Last of Us world is that the mushrooms, while they're taking over the brains of, of people, they're actually feeding them and improving their tissue and their musculature and all of this stuff. So these zombies aren't just corpses that have been reanimated. They're actively being nurtured by the fungus. With exactly. Really strong bodies. Yeah. And that's why, as the longer you are infected, the more swift you become. And we finally see here what happens when you've been infected for quite some time, because out from that hole of terror comes the bloater, which is the final stage. I was like, is that Dwayne Johnson? Who's <laughs> playing that bloater? An enormous person. It might have been a CGI thing. I don't know if that was really a person in that, but he was. Huge. Oh, it was. Well, he was huge. He's absolutely yeah. massive, and then he's got this massive costume on top. So he's like the size of four men. Like he is, and he just goes there like, like, oh my fucking god! I was just like, fuck, watching it. I was like, oh Jesus Christ! And that motherfucker could run. Good God, yeah. did he was not any the slower for being massive. Well, he grabs Kathleen's, like, right-hand man and just rips his head off. Oh. Oh, oh. yeah, oh. everybody. <laughs> He's not catching the disease. He's dead. He's, He's dead. dead. Yeah. So there's the bloater. It's the final <laughs> stage. It's supposed to be, I guess, what happens when a person's been infected for so long that the mushroom, the, the fungi have... have given him like armor like skin and super strength and then apparently they explode after this but until that moment they're just big and nasty and yeah. it was insane but just as terrifying good god was that little girl that little quicker oh. girl who follows ellie into that goddamn truck oh my god yeah ellie has a whole sequence in a truck with this little girl zombie who is basically just like a flailing wet cat like, just like, ah! you're just like, oh my fucking God. And Ellie really has a whole fight sequence. I, oh God, I hate shooting stuff in cars. But anyway, she she does all of that. She slithers out. She, this, the, her and Pedro, they can't die. Yeah. They can't Hold die. I don't, I don't know how you get through that scene and you're like, mm, well, there you go. But they did. Yeah, they, they they manage, they manage. And well, I mean, I guess Henry and Sam, this is their first time outside of the city. This is everybody. <laughs> what a in, time it was. And what a time it was. Never <laughs> go to the suburbs, folks. It's not the place to be. This is this is something that dawned on me too, especially toward the end of the episode. But this really was the first time that Kathleen and her group were outside of Kansas City. And because at first I was like, how could this well-organized group of people make so many goddamn mistakes? Is this just stupidity for the sake of the plot? But it does make sense in context. And especially when you loop it in with what Henry was saying about how Fedra had cleared the tunnels. Yeah. They know, these people know that there is obviously an apocalypse happening. And I'm sure they must have seen the odd zombie here and there. But they've never really, they've only just gained power in the city. And as awful as Fedra was to them, at least they were keeping the zombies away. And so they're out well, here. I, I think they're feeling real cocky, too. They're oh, like, yeah. We're going to shoot these motherfuckers. Like, she is full of confidence until that little girl crawls out of the truck and jumps right on her. Jumps right on her. And I, and was, I, mean, I was thrilled. I shouldn't have felt that way. 
but I was just like, good, you fucker. Well, especially because that we have this moment, right? And Kathleen, honey, you gotta let it go. Like, at some point, you have to look around at all of your friends and loved ones, the people you fought so hard to save, getting their faces eaten off. Your bestie, Perry, which is the name of the right-hand man, he just had his skull pulled off his shoulders. You might want to drop the vengeance here, but she has I, 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 she's not she's not logical right and i do think they were they were cluing us into that all the way through the episode like she's not thinking clearly mm-hmm. she's in a state of denial which i think is just getting ramped up with this attack like she's just like now this is all that matters you know what i mean like it turns into that instead of like maybe we should try to survive this well and whatever's going through her head at that moment it it leads to this this very upsetting and irritating frankly to see her stand there and be like it's inevitable it's time for you to die just give it up so you're right when that little girl clicker comes up and and jumps her we're all cheering because she is really ascended to villainous maximus yes i know they tried to give us some empathy or some sympathy here but we're cheering we're cheering maybe that's what they wanted i don't know but i didn't find her i mean my favorite villains are always ones where you have if not sympathy you there's some like you you love to hate them and i just hated her i didn't love it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it was very one note yeah so when it was because sometimes villains you they die but you're like oh it's too bad they had to get rid of them but of course you did like like in Jessica Jones, when David Tennant finally got choked to death, I was like, oh, but he was the worst guy in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was the worst. Guy, but but there was such a depth and such a fascinating personality that you were just <laughs> like, oh, you know what I mean? And this, they skipped that because she's completely capable of it. It's not her fault. They just yeah. they just didn't let it percolate. Yeah. So, you know, we get this this big villain's death and it, it's at least satisfying in terms of a zombie kill. I'll give it that because yeah. that I was thinking we weren't going to get another shot of that little creepy zombie girl. And I thought, you know, this whole sequence was going to be centered around the bloater. And we got a really excellent bloater moment. But I actually think that little girl zombie was the real chilling, freaky icing on the cake. Yeah. And the fact that we not only got we got the close range attack in the truck but then the excellent kill at the end yeah i was like remember this from a few minutes ago well she's back and you're like oh god and she's gonna be in your nightmares for the rest of time yeah yeah she she was also like moving in fast motion Mm -hmm. uh, uh, no thanks and so chaos has has fallen upon the citizens of kansas city missouri and in this nightmarish zombie attack joel ellie henry and sam managed to just run and yeah. no zombies follow them, and yeah. no people follow them. And it's a little bit of a convenient exit, but at this point, I think we're ready to to move away from the horror, and yeah. we know that we're not going to be losing Joel and Ellie. And Ellie got a very heroic moment. She saved the two of them from a clicker. They were trying to kick it away from under a car, and she mm-hmm. took out her little knife and stabbed them both in the throat. Just one, and then the other one which I thought was great because she hasn't gotten to do that much like this at all. Yeah. And she got a lot of action more, more really than Pedro. Cause he was up in that window. Yeah. 
I, I thought that was awesome. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. So they get they get they get back to this like abandoned hotel and they're like, oh shit, that was a day. <laughs> Time to kick your feet up and rest. Oh wait. Here comes perhaps the greatest tragedy that yeah. we're gonna be showing in this show. And oh boy, this broke my heart. I didn't go into this episode expecting happy endings, but I and again. I'm watching these without really understanding the plot of the video game. So I only know the broadest strokes. Again, I did not know about what was supposed to happen here. And, you know, they've made sure to show us that Ellie and Sam in particular are bonding. And that should be a red flag. And it's not that it wasn't a red flag, because I know how these stories work. And in those moments, I was like, these sweet children, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I guess when they got away and we were in that motel you can never tell what the run times of these episodes because we could have two minutes left we could have 40 and you know usually i would look <laughs> yeah. at that and yeah. be, uh, stare at the clock and be like okay well we've only got you know a small chunk so maybe we're done with this episode and we'll get one more but of course they're sitting there in the room ellie and sam having this lovely moment and then he writes are you ever scared and ellie says i'm scared all the time and then she asks him and he says, I wonder if you're still in there when you become a monster or something to that effect. Something that we've discussed. Something that I was I was like, hey, Sam, I, I asked that, too. Yeah. Because when you become a monster, are you still you on the inside? That's mm -hmm. how he asked it. And we see that he has been wounded from that moment that he and his brother were trapped under the truck. And this was so heartbreaking. And I mean... Ellie, you know, she she's just obviously so upset and, and she's just, you know, I, I got to do something. And maybe she even believes it in that moment because I would. That's what I jotted down too. I was like, does she really think that this is going to work or is she just, is she just, I think she's just desperate and she's like, maybe it'll work. Yeah. She knows that she knows that her blood or something, she knows that her genetics provide a potential answer for curing this apocalypse. And she is just doing what I think anybody would in that moment. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll slather some blood on it and it'll work. And I mean, I was like, just please, please. Like, I knew it didn't make any sense, but yeah. I just wanted it to make sense. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Like, even, even if her blood did hold a key, you can't just slather your own blood onto it. You know, she said, this is medicine. This is medicine. My blood is medicine. And I, I mean, maybe it's good. That's the last thing the kid thought of. Mm -hmm. Well, he was still okay. And he says, will you stay awake with me? And she says, mm -hmm. yes. And then the next day she wakes up and the child's just sitting at the end of the bed. And she says, hey, are you okay? And he attacks her. Yeah. And then it we, knew, we knew it was coming. You knew it was coming, but it's horrible. It, you just like, please be okay. Yeah. I thought we were maybe going to get a wild and wacky dice roll here. And that for some reason it worked. Or maybe he too was immune and this was just how yeah. we find out. But no, Sam attacks Ellie. They run into the main room of the motel. Uh, Joel reaches for a gun because, you know, he's on autopilot at this point. There's an infected person. It's time to kill them. But, you know, Henry, this is his brother. This is the person that he has been protecting this whole time. His whole reason for being. And he points the gun at Joel, and I think he actually shoots at him, and he drops his own gun. 
And Sam is still attacking Ellie through all of this. And then in a reflexive moment, Henry shoots his younger brother in the head. And ugh, ugh. and if that wasn't devastating enough, watching a child die that way, then we have this, oh, oh I knew it was coming. As soon, as soon as we got that sort of tense exchange with Joel and and just being like, give me the gun. Yeah, give me Joel the- knows. He knows right away. It's just like, everybody mm-hmm. calm down, just, you know, hand me the gun. And of course he doesn't. Yeah. He immediately turns it on himself and they're both gone. And it is ugly. It's an ugly, ugly scene. Got those actors, man. Real sharp. Yeah. They knocked it out of the park with yeah. that. Because that's it. Joel, even Joel was really starting to like them. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he was trying, and it, it's 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 heartbreaking. Yeah, it's awful. But I, you know, you couldn't have one without the other. Yeah. Like if one of them had gone, the other one would have gone. Just yeah. even, even if it had been reversed, somehow the the kid wouldn't have made it. It was really probably one of the most difficult scenes to watch in an already extremely difficult run of scenes throughout episodes. The actors did a phenomenal job. I do think it's important for us, though, to talk here just a little bit about a point that we sort of brought up and talked quite a bit about, actually, in episode three. Um, about a very Carol- special episode. Our very special episode that went on and on and on. Some of you might still be listening, even though you started it a few weeks ago. It, there's a tendency, as we've talked about before, for characters with marginalized identities to fall by the wayside and often meet violent deaths. And we talked about it in the context of two white gay men in episode three, but we do have to acknowledge here that two black men, well, a black young black man and a black boy died in this episode. They are the first major black characters that we're countering in this narrative about halfway through. And although their story is present almost in this exact way, at least the death is the present almost in the exact way in the video game, we are still seeing it here in this narrative where they don't get to go on. And with all the changes that were made to Henry and Sam's backstory, the one thing that they made sure to maintain was that they are dead by the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a shame. And I mean, again, to make a comparison with episode three, you know, those two old white gays, they got to have a, a beautiful, peaceful death in their storyline. And and a long life. Mm-hmm. These poor guys are like 20 something and under 10 and died at the point of a gun. Exactly. And, you know, this show is still written by two white dudes. I'm not sure how many Black cast members or Black uh, writers might have been around to supplement or if the two Black actors were in any way able to contribute. And, you know, Jerrica and I are both white people, so we can only say so much on this topic. But it's, again, something I would like to see Black people in zombie narratives survive and have more complex stories. And while they did try and add some complexity here, and again, the performances were stellar, Like, and there were some great sequences and great banter between the actors and all that. I mean, I 
part of me wishes that we could have had more central black characters in the story, at least ones that don't die so violently. So, well, I was, you know, I even thought, God, like, and I mean, I I love Pedro and I love Bella Ramsey, but I thought these two guys could have been the show. This could have been the show. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's hard to, and I, I, I get what they're doing. Like, they, it also puts the show, besides, you know, if we put the racial part of it aside, I think what it also does is it puts the show in a bit of danger of becoming predictable in that every episode is its own tiny little arc where nobody can continue from that arc except for our two heroes. Right. So you start to be able to be like, well, anybody I meet is going to die unless mm-hmm. he's, he's they're one of these two people. And I mean, maybe they won't always follow that pattern, but it seems like we're, we're hitting almost fully on that. Like, I mean, yeah. Uh, the, the, what was the girlfriend's Tessa? Yeah. She got, she got two, she got two episodes. And so did these guys. Yeah. But you, you know, they cannot continue the journey, even to split up because that's what I thought they might do here is like, they were going to go together, but something happens and they say, no, you've got to go that way. And we've got to go this way. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that might, cause I thought, I know they're not going to just join them for the rest of the trip. They're not going to allow that to happen. But I was hoping that some other crisis would come up that made them go a different way, but you mm-hmm. would know that they were still making their way somewhere. Or, I, I don't know. Like, and then again, you could, you could see one of them. It's maybe later you see the the little boy with somebody else because the brother does die or you know what I mean? But you could, you could add more intrigue if you just kept some of these for later, like as reference points. Yeah. The show seems to be a little frightened of the idea of leaving loose ends. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I understand that some of these things were happening in video game too, but you're, you're ma- still making changes. You're still making, you know, necessary switch-ups because adaptation from one media to the next is an art form in and of itself. And sometimes you do have to change it. And I get there's a butterfly effect. You might have some, you know, things happen down the road because you've got some characters who are alive that, you know, maybe you weren't in the original story. But I still think... You can find ways to weave these things in and out generally. Yeah. And then you have to pay attention. This story is being told in a, you know, in our political climate, in the realities of our world. And, you know, you can't fall back on the, well, it was in the video game. That's how we, you know, told it there. Because in the end, you made up that story to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not freaking the Ten Commandments brought down from on high. Like you can make these changes or at least find maybe a a gentler way for one of the characters to die. Like there's so much Black Death passed around in media, especially of young men. Like you can, you know, you can think about that showrunners and maybe, I don't know, just do something. Come up with something else. Yeah, I I know. I, I mean, I think... I honestly don't think they were even thinking about that. They're thinking about getting you right in the feels. They're get, thinking about the shock value. 
they're, they're, you know, that's they they want to just make things like pop off, and I I get that, and letting them live and go their own way would not be popping off the story, but 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 yeah, it, there is there is a uh, other things we have to consider here. I think, yeah, yeah, because I mean, if I was, I can only imagine. Again, I can't put myself in the sense, but if I was. You know, I know how I feel as a woman watching a show when the woman acts like a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And if I was a person of color and being like, wow, these characters are, you know, they're getting through. And then at the end, you're like, of course, thank you so much. Like, I can't continue to enjoy any character that I identify with because, of course, they've destroyed themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And the lesson Not we learned... the little every- boy didn't destroy himself. It was, But, it, it, you know, it's it's... Yeah. The lesson we learn over and over, because the cis white hetero patriarchy keeps beating us into the ground with it, is that we need more of us telling stories. We need more queer stories centered around queer people told by queer people. We need more stories told by black people centered around black people for black people. And we just need more marginalized stories to be central and made by the people who are actually living them. So, you know. Today, there's, the there's last, that. Yeah, there's just that thing. There's just that little thing. Yeah. And the Last of Us, you know, she's she's trying her best, and she's she's doing some things right, and she's not going to fix every problem. So exactly. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just you see that's a little discouraging, especially like you said when you compare the type of death with the two guys in episode three. Like it does seem really rough like really really rough to see how young they are mm-hmm. uh, i don't know i i found and and that their life had been full of just like pain and strife mm-hmm. like yeah. and their their deaths ultimately are serving ellie's sort of story here too we're seeing her react we're seeing her devastated and black death for the character development of a white lady is sort of the same thing as, or it it follows in the same sort of nastiness as all of those stories where women die for the betterment of men and their understanding. So you, you do see that aspect of it too, where now we're, we're seeing Ellie's pain taken from this. Ellie could have had a friend. Ellie had some hope and it's not, it's not the best thing to be seeing here. So but we're going to chug on to the next week and that zombie scene holy fuck yes we do got some quality zombie time in this episode yeah that did entertain me i want to you know like i don't want us to end like saying like this you know they should be ashamed of themselves or whatever you know like they it's 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 ongoing issues in a lot of media including this yeah. Um, I think they feel like they're trying to do these things gracefully by showing them to be like great characters, but in a way that is also a little patronizing. Like I that's what I thought about the queer guys too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of 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 room for shades and, and values. It's just like they have to be like saints, basically, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so that that's a little wiggly to me too. And they did it with the they did it with the queer guys too. They did the same yep. thing. 
And actually, I mean, I, I actually think I'm hoping going forward, we actually get a little more room for development of our actual lead characters because I feel like Jules fallen by the wayside a little bit. Like he does not get much room to expand at all even even in a narrow confine like he gets the least to say though because he's a strong silent type right like pedro pasco he is doing a good job because there is mystery there and you can see there is meaning behind the eyes and stuff but i i do think also the show could spend a little time with him joel took a back seat in this episode and i'm ready to see some more time with him we've also got a lot still to learn about Ellie. And I'm pretty sure next week's episode is going to feature her backstory, which I'm very excited for because we're getting a little more queerness. Yes. I think we've talked about a thousand times already. Tiny gay. Yeah, we're getting our tiny gay moment this time. And I'm very excited to see that. I am hoping that we get more of Joel's story. I know next week we're also going to get some indigenous characters on screen. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to Canmore, which I think is standing in for Colorado or something. Ah, it's a tour of the whole goddamn province that's anything but itself. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, what we're is the see- dreariest province that we can shoot in? Here's the one. I mean, when um, I think of Apocalypse, I think of dear old Alberta. <laughs> and I'm ready to take a tour of my old stomping ground. So, you know. It's going to be great. Actually, the scene where they shot the whole suburb scene in this episode is the Calgary Stampede grounds. And my mom and I went to a dear friend's wedding. Hi, Meg, if you're listening, last summer. And we stayed two blocks away from yeah. where all of that shit went out. So I'd like at one point, you can actually see the corner of the building where we stayed. So, you know, it's it's just great to see Calgary shining and yep. Alberta shining. Finally, it's being used to its full capability. Exactly. So as a, as a killing field. All right. Well, and these things to ponder and think about. Look forward to next week. <laughs> Milo, thank you so much for joining me again this week for episode five. We have some fun here, don't we, Jerrica? It's been a blast. It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, it's emotional trauma that we'll live with for the rest of our lives, but that's what HBO's for. And it's important we do it together. That's it. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. All right. <laughs> so until next week, sleep tight. Don't let the zombies bite. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Popular Parallax Limited Series Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Popular Parallax. Episode produced by Anne Meehan. Theme song by Ken Chamberlain. We'll see you next time. And remember... Daddy is a state of mind, you know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. <laughs>